Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this a uh, little bit cooler than we've had for us. Uh, what did we have? About 70 days in the 90s in a row. It's been a warm one. Uh, you know, I enjoy some of that weather, but there's consequences for it, too. Uh, the cool weather's a nice break. We're going to warm back up uh, next week, only in the 80s, I think. We might hit 90 once, but it's going to be more seasonal, really. We were kind of above average. But there's a few things. You know, we've got big Labor Day weekend coming up. We've got a lot of different hunting kicking in. We've got fall fishing, a lot of people getting in their last camping trips, and you're really really going to have to pay attention and plan before you go with the fires we've got going on the falling water levels we've got campgrounds that are closed we've got boat ramps that are closed so don't go heading off with all your gear to your favorite location without checking first we're going to cover a bunch of that on the show today we'll try to keep you up to speed but it changes daily right now also um, later on we're going to talk the governor has declared the week this week uh, coming up starting Monday is Care for Colorado Week, and it's about responsible outdoor recreation, about, you know, picking up trash, taking care. We've got a lot of new people in the outdoors since COVID, and we want them out there. We want them to have a good time. We encourage them to get out and camp and fish and hike and swim and hunt. But we need to do it responsibly so we take care of our resources. So we're going to talk about that, the conditions, and a lot of opportunities today. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Speaking of uh, conditions, let's go right to the phones. Uh, joining us from uh, Larimer County Parks is Mark Coughlin. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Terry. You know, I want to get into conditions at your reservoirs and lakes. Before we do that, though, We'd be remiss if we didn't uh, mention you got uh, Lermer Parks and all of Colorado uh, had a tragedy in the last few last week or so. Um, we lost somebody. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we lost one of our boat rangers here at Lermer County Department of Natural Resources. Um, he was responding to a rescue on the water uh, a, week, a week ago Thursday. Um, big storm came through. It was a high wind event, high wave event. And so he, uh, he, he, he died uh, trying to rescue some folks that were in distress in the water. They were actually in the water. Um, there's two people in the water. They had one life jacket between them. The storm came through, and he was trying to respond to that. And so, unfortunately, he lost his life um, doing that. Yesterday was a great ceremony of his life. Um, there was a memorial service um, in Windsor, Colorado. There was, there was a procession from Fort Collins over to Windsor. And one thing that kind of restores your faith and a little bit of humanity is the amount of support that we saw along that um, nine-mile route, um, the amount of people with American flags and honoring him for being one is for being a park ranger in the state of Colorado and you know, sacrificing his life to help others. And also he was a, um, a veteran of the Marine Corps. He did four years in the Marine Corps. So honoring his service for, um, for that as well. You know, he was really um, all about service throughout his life. You know, he volunteered to go in the military and uh, serve time and go overseas and then fight for our country. Then came back to serve people as well as, as a park ranger. He was actually supposed to start the police academy this week. Um, so yeah, he's really a, a hero to, to all of us. Yeah, and, you know, we need to uh, – there's so many first responders and public servants and people that are in so many jobs that are so important, and sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle. And, and you guys are out there every day, and, you know, people don't understand the things sometimes you go through. They, they, they take it for granted, but um, kudos to everybody for honoring him. And, and, you know, the best way we can keep his memory now is 
what I talked about, responsible recreation, so we don't put our rangers in awkward situations and things. So hopefully he'll be remembered fondly, but things go on, and the other people now, I'm sure the people at your properties are a little bit down, but they have to uh, they have to go out now and serve the public. So that's what we'll continue to do. Mark, as we move forward, uh, we talked about conditions during the open of the show. How are the conditions at the Larimer County Reservoirs? You know, we're seeing a lot of these eastern reservoirs. Uh, Jackson, the ramps are closed. I don't know how long the ramps will stay open at some of the others. Jumbo's losing water. We're, we're going to lose the fish in Jumbo. They're actually doing a salvage, and the ramp might have closed already. The water was dropping rapidly there. Um, across the eastern part of the state, at least, we're seeing rapid water drop as the farmers irrigate. How is that affecting your waters? Yeah, the most affected body of water that we have will be Horsetooth Reservoir. And that's not necessarily from the drought conditions or the hot weather, weather we've had. That really comes from sort of a maintenance project that's going on in two locations. One is um, one, of the, one of the outlet structures here at, at Horsetooth Reservoir, they're doing some maintenance on that. So they have to get the water down to a certain level to get divers down the water, do a little bit of maintenance. And there's a, there's a siphon project upstream from us by Flatiron Reservoir, that's also limiting the amount of water coming into horse too. So we'll see drawdowns now. Um, you know, right now, seasonally, we're about where we normally are, uh, maybe just a little bit lower. We will keep a boat ramp. We will keep a boat ramp open through the end of November at Horsetooth Reservoir. So um, that'll be at South Base. The people who, who go up here and promote the reservoir South Base where you want to launch, especially towards the end of September. Right now, all of our ramps in the water, and they will be through probably mid-September, then we'll probably start losing some boat ramps. Carter Lake, on the other hand, um, has very good water levels, and it will continue to be that way throughout throughout the fall. So our ramps will be open until November 30th is there as well. Flatiron Reservoir and Pinewood Reservoir, which are just above Carter Lake, um, will have decent water levels, and so they'll, they'll continue to be good. You know, right now the fishing is very good at Horsetooth, especially for smallmouth bass. So it's been excellent lately. And the walleye fishing is starting to turn on as the, water, as the temperatures cool and the water temperatures start dropping down. Um, the walleye fishing at Carter Lake will be good. Same with the rainbow trout fishing at Flatiron Pinewood. They'll, they'll be good as well. All of our facilities yeah, will remain, remain. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish up. All of our facilities will remain open. Our, our campgrounds, shower houses, things like that, all, all of our visitor services facilities will, will stay open um, uh, as our normal schedule. So they'll stay open throughout the year. Now, what kind of hours? Will we see hours changing at the boat ramps? What are the hours now, and what will they be as we go forward? Right now, we're still operating our normal hours um, at most of our ramps from basically 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. Our north, our northernmost ramp at Horseheath Reservoir, it's called the Satanka Boat Ramp, is 8 to 4, um, seven days a week. Sometime mid-September, that'll change to um, weekends only, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, until, and that'll probably be the first ramp to go out of the water. The best way to get the most current conditions is go to our website, lerma.org slash natural resources. And on the home page or that landing page, you'll see a, a, a current conditions page. You can just click on there, and that'll give you the latest on the boating information. Now, with all the restrictions, I assume there's restrictions in place at your campgrounds as far as fires and things, too. There is a statewide fire ban on right now, so you can't have open burning, so no campfires, no tiki torches, no open flames, even the now, you know, technology has changed so much. There's those propane, basically, fire pits now. Um, we don't allow those open flames, so you can't drop those in one of our fire pits and use that. So that's really the biggest thing. No smoking outside. It's got to be in a, in a safe area. Um, and that, that's, that's statewide for good, for good reasons right now. 
Oh, with fires have been tremendous. Uh, fortunately, we're getting some handle on some of those, although one up by Cameron Pass, I still not contained. But, you know, we made a point, and I know this is out of what we're going to talk about on your segment here, but some of the areas that are burning haven't threatened a lot of structures. The big fire north of Grand Junction and the one up on Cameron Pass but they are getting rid of a lot of beetle kill, and it's going to take some time, but we're actually going to see some of those areas come back with actually better habitat than they, they already have because of the beetle kill, won't we? You're absolutely right, and they're making a conscious decision now, at least on the um, Cameron Peak fire, to let it burn for a while. Like you said, the, the structures are not endangered. There's a tremendous amount of beetle kill in that year over the last 15 years. So it's really going to solve some of those problems, and really, like you said, at the end of the day, you know, Next year, next five, six years, it's going to be phenomenal habitat for deer, elk, and other wildlife. So um, there'll be some good that comes out of all this. No, you're ab- absolutely right. I want to touch, you mentioned the smallmouth bass fishing at Horsetooth. And it has, over the last few years, I, you know, I've been fishing Horsetooth since the 80s. And over the last few years, well, since that last drawdown and then going forward, it has really blossomed. There's always been numbers of smallmouth in Horsetooth Reservoir, but the the ability to catch bigger fish has really blossomed there, hasn't it? It has. I think that's for a couple of reasons. One is the rainbow smelt in our reservoir, um, which really the walleye key in on, and so does some of the smallmouth bass. Um, that has really taken a lot of the walleye off the shoreline so that traditionally you might eat um, crawfish, for example, and pull those fish off um, to kind of more of a pelagic um, type fishery like the rainbow smelt is for, for prey fish. And then that get, leaves, relieves a lot of pressure on the smallmouth bass, um, gives them more opportunity to take advantage of the crawfish and other, and other bait fish that are in the rock structures. So I think that's one reason we're seeing that such a large growth right now. You know, it's not uncommon to see guys catch 17 to 19 inch smallmouth bass and in pretty good numbers. And right now with the, we're seeing kind of a weird effect right now. And the, Again, I'm not a biologist, but they'll, they'll probably explain this better than me. But as the water draws down, those fish and they go into some kind of hyperphagia where they got they feel like they have to eat more, and so they're really preying it. And they're really keen in on those crawfish. So you know, fishing from 20 to 30 feet of water, we're seeing a lot of smallmouth uh, bass being caught off the rocks. Oh, and it and uh, you mentioned the size. I know I don't get out as often as I should, but Karen and I will pull a boat out there every so often. And just with some simple, you know, you've got to change your presentation. Fishing is still fishing. Sometimes we drag a tube jig just down the points when they're eating crawfish. Sometimes they're chasing minnows. We have to do a little bit more of a crankbait or maybe a gulp minnow or something. But it's not uncommon for us to catch more big smallmouth than we do small ones. And I'm talking 14, 15, up to, like you said, 18 inches. We had one day out there where, I don't think we caught a smallmouth under 16 inches. We just happened to get, we did catch a couple little ones, but then we got into a pod that we discovered and we put the the electric anchor, the spot lock on my boat and just worked tubes. And it was phenomenal. Great place to not only go fishing yourself, but to take kids fishing because when those smallmouth are active, they really give you the opportunity to get some action and a great way to get youth into using other types of techniques and get them some action. So I think it's really a blessing. I know the walleye, like you mentioned, are going to come on. They've been hit and miss. Um, What about panfish? I've heard the panfish have come on pretty strong there. You know, Terry, in the last 10 years, we've had um, above high water levels, which really gets during the spawning season, that that June time period where those 
panfish are spawning. They're, they're, a lot of them spawn up in the brush. They attach their eggs to, to structure and, and to vegetation. So it's really, it's really, they've really done really well the last 10 years as far as getting a good um, hatch off every year. So it's really nice to see that. So, you know, so the crappie and the, and the sunfish and, and the perch are really doing well. Uh, especially back in the coves, the reservoirs, so we're seeing a lot more of those. I think that's really helping the smallmouth bass get bigger as well, so it gives them more prey species to, to feed upon. So really, just just seeing those that production, that 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 that, that recruitment of fish um, in the reservoir without having to stock um, has really been great the last ten years. Now, um, last couple things, Mark. If you uh, as the water drops down here, is there still going to be pretty adequate shore access for people that don't have a boat? Yeah, actually, you know, have the water down gives people more shore access. At least in my opinion, there's a lot more beaches to fish off of, more more, more points. You can see more structure as the water goes down, and kind of helps people key on those, those structures, whether it's a point or a sunken island or whatever it may be. It really helps people kind of key in on those, and the fishing actually gets better when the water's this low. Any last message you want for people? We're going to let you go, Mark. But anything, uh, any other last messages you want to get out? No, we're transitioning the fall season right now, um, which means some of our Availability in our campsites opens up a little bit, so it's a little easier to, to get up here. Um, if you if you like fishing, in my opinion, the fall is the best time of the year. As we get into October, November, um, even in December, I think that's some of the best fishing that we offer. Well, thank you so much, Mark. You know, you're right in my backyard, one of my favorite places, and I love Horse Tooth. It, it offers a variety of recreational opportunities, and you guys do a great job of managing it. So, thanks for coming on for us today and updating us. And <clears throat> last thing, if people want updates on current conditions is there a website they should go to yeah just go to larimer.org slash natural resources and i'll take you to our homepage, and you can find everything from there all right thank you mark and uh, our condolences to your outdoor community for their loss thank you terry all right mark coughlin from uh, larimer county uh, mostly at horse tooth but of course he kept keeps track of the entire area we're gonna take a quick time out when we come back um we're going to talk about largemouth bass in Colorado, what, how Colorado has changed the way they uh, raise and stock largemouth bass to make them more and more prolific as they gain in popularity in our state. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. The Eagles take it to the limit. How did you know I like the Eagles, Kyle? Wild guess. <laughs> You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, which is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Whether you're camping, hiking, hunting, fishing, or just grilling in your backyard, Jack's has everything you need. Stop by one of their locations in Fort Collins, Loveland, Lafayette, Broomfield, and Cheyenne. Let's go right to the phones now. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Brandon White. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, in this cool weather, is actually a little bit of a nice break. We'll get back to probably seasonal temperatures next week, which will be in the 80s, which in Colorado's drier air is always comfortable, but we're still going to have to be careful of fires. But you want to talk about largemouth bass production. And, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, largemouth bass for over 50 years have been the number one game fish in the United States. But in Colorado, if you go back 20, 25 years, they were down the list. You had trout were number one, then walleyes, and I even believe catfish and panfish were above bass, but that changed drastically over the last 10, 15 years. And bass, I would hazard to guess that bass are up in the top two or three fish in this state now. 
And, you know, a lot of people have the perception that we don't have good bass fishing here, yet you must be able to catch them and learn because several of the last high school national champions have come out of Colorado. So uh, what's happened? Is, is it the aggressive stocking of bass in Colorado? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it's just kind of all around just the popularity. You know, like you said, I mean, high school fishing, college fishing has gotten more and more uh, popular and, you know, like you said, we've got a couple of last high school champions out of Colorado, and um, I think, you know, social media is driving it, and it's just more and more popular. More and more people are wanting to do it, and, you know, that definitely puts uh, a strain on it more, and we've we've changed our production because of that. Now, I know you've been stocking largemouth bass for a long time, but you're right. It, you stock them in a lot of waters, and we'll get into where you stock them and how people can find them. But you've actually produced some tremendous bass fishing. I do a ton of bass fishing in Colorado for largemouths and very successfully. But what happened with production? You told me you, you used to produce about 200,000 fry, I believe, a year, and now you've got that up in the millions. What did you change? So we we just changed uh, basically how we're spawning them. Um, we we allow those fish to naturally spawn, but you know we we used to allow them to spawn, hatch, and then we would uh, pull fry out of the ponds and grow them to fingerlings. But what we're doing now, and it's what we've watched uh, one of our neighboring states and learned from Kansas, and that we we are actually pulling the eggs from a spawning mat in a pond, taking those into a hatchery. And then Latin, allowing them to uh, hatch in a tank uh, reduces the amount of cannibalism. Um, we can directly feed them and, and in turn produce a lot more. And so how many bass can you produce a year now with these new techniques? So, you know, I was looking at numbers. 2014, we produced about that 200,000 fingerlings. Um, we're still around the same amount of fingerling production in that two to 400,000. Uh, depending on the year, but what it's allowed us to do is now we've increased our fry production. In 2019, we were at about four four million fry we stocked uh, last year. So it's just it's changed basically everything we're doing. And biologists are taking fry. We're doing more of those fry stockings and seeing what we can uh, get out of those in our waters. Now you mentioned. Uh the cannibalism i always kind of laugh because you and i were talking earlier and i said i think the only reason bass spawn in some of the ponds they're in is to create food for themselves it really is an issue they eat small panfish they eat small bass um Mm -hmm. so a lot of the bass fishing we have in colorado unlike some other states probably wouldn't naturally exist without supplemental stocking would it no, it wouldn't. Um, you know, and, and we're we're on that, you know, that fringe type uh state for bass and you know, we definitely have to supplement it with our hatchery stockings and um but you know, we still they still are producing well, you know, Pueblo is one of those waters where they do spawn well and, and uh recruit well to that population. And there's others, and I'll talk. We'll talk about a few of the waters here in a minute. But before we get to where you stock them and where mm-hmm. we've seen successful bass populations, having these extra fry um, to not only helps you stock Colorado, but you're able to use those in trade then with our partners, aren't you? We do. We do. So um, we do a lot of warm water trading every year. 
Um, we actually have a meeting once a year where we set up all of our trades with uh, a lot of neighboring states, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, um, even New Mexico. Um, and then there's, there's species that we don't do well at producing that will in turn trade. Um, and it's kind of a, it's a take and give or a give and take, however you want to put it. And, um, and we do it yearly uh, for species. What, what are some of the main species you trade for? Um, so we get a lot of our wiper, uh, striper out of state. Um, another big warm water fish is our tiger muskie. Um, those come out of Nebraska. Um, and then in turn, you know, we're given, you know, like I said, bass, we're giving, um, uh, walleye. Uh, obviously we do really well at our walleye production. So we give a lot of walleye fry to, to our neighboring states. <clears throat> so it's just, you know, I just want people to know that you guys are working. We have a, Colorado, I, I traveled the world doing television fishing, um, and I wrote for magazines for four decades. I've fished all over. And people who live in Colorado are extremely fortunate because we have our, our traditional cold water fisheries with the trout, the, char, the lake trout, the brook trout, and, of course, the rainbows, browns, uh, and all the different trout species, the cutthroats, of course, that we're going to talk about in the next segment. But we also have a tremendous warm water fishery and a cool water fishery with pike and tiger muskie and walleye even can kind of cross over. So we, we'd really have diverse fisheries, which wouldn't exist without this trading and management and raising, especially bass and walleyes. It's so important. So where are some of the waters that you typically would stock bass? What type of water and where? You know, bass are... Bass are uh they can they can take a lot of different type of habitats so you know we're putting a lot of largemouth in your local urban waters you know all over uh denver um city park um all the way to fort collins all the way down to pueblo you know but we're also stocking those in big waters um like boyd like cherry creek pueblo um so they're a versatile species and they can they can live in a lot of different habitats a lot of people don't realize that Cherry Creek at one time produced the record largemouth bass in Colorado. That was several years ago. So it does produce some good habitat. Um, and some real success stories have been Pueblo has been fantastic. Boyd, you mentioned, is a great bass fishery. And, of course, the ponds. A lot of times when I don't want to take my boat out, I just go grab a couple rods and drive to some of these ponds. And with a simple gear like maybe a small worm or a senko, type bait and a uh, top little top water i can hit these ponds and almost catch bass every day yeah yeah the local waters are just they're phenomenal you know you don't need a eighty thousand dollar bass boat all you need is a couple of rods and a backpack and you know a swing through cabela's or bass pro and pick up some some bass gear and you know just walk the banks now, now, what about some of the bigger eastern reservoirs? Now, I know John Martin has a very good largemouth bass population. I've fished it in the past. And some of those uh, eastern reservoirs, are, we, are is that going to be affected by water? I know you like John Martin in particular. Have you heard any predictions for what's going to happen there? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think all our eastern plains waters are just so, they're so dynamic with irrigation and um, what's going on with drought and you know, I, I haven't heard too much. You know, I know we've got a, a certain amount of water that we keep 
in John Martin that we've purchased. Um, so, you know, it won't ever go completely dry, but, you know, definitely these drought years are, are, are hurting waters for sure. Yeah. Well, the bass tend to survive better than maybe some of the other species. Brandon, we got to let you go, but thanks for bringing us update. Great program, and it really benefits all the fishermen in Colorado. Appreciate it, Terry. All right. Brandon White, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about our fishery supplemental programs. We're going to talk about cutthroat trouts up in the high mountain lakes, how they get there, and how you can take advantage of it. One of the great fall fishing experiences. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Bass, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own sudden way up high Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They're growing up and still having fun. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Dave Carr. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Terry. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. You know, we just talked to Brandon about the bass stocking program and how we propagate that and how we maintain some of our warm water fisheries through supplemental stocking. And, of course, I think most people are familiar with the stock trout program, the rainbows we put up and down uh, the mm-hmm. throughout lakes in Colorado, both warm water and cold water, that, you know, you work so hard to provide recreational opportunities because we have a lot of anglers in Colorado, and they love to get out. And I don't know how many people realize we wouldn't have some of the opportunities if it wasn't for the hard work in some of the programs. One unique program that provides uh, a really exciting experience and opportunity that you have to be willing to work a little bit to take advantage of is our high mountain cutthroat stocking. Tell people about that. Yeah, it's it's a really cool program that I like to highlight. Um, and it's, it's one that I think probably doesn't get the attention or um, maybe notoriety, so to, so to speak, of the um, you know, rainbow trout stocking that we do. But uh, we stock a lot of um, young of the year cutthroats in high mountain lakes, um, in wilderness areas and alpine areas. Um, and it's a really cool collaborative effort uh, between uh, hatchery personnel, aquatic biologists, game wardens, property technicians, and um, some uh, pilots that we have as well that uh, can airplane stock these fish or uh, a lot of times we pack them in on horseback or just in a backpack but uh, it's a it's a little more challenging stocking program but it produces some really nice angling opportunities for uh, high country anglers yeah and these aren't probably well like you said because you're using horseback or pack in or airplanes to stock these these aren't ones you're going to pull alongside of the road and just going to catch you're going to work a little bit for this but i think but whether you're a conventional angler or a fly fisherman or fly angler, I don't want to leave women out, um, you're going to have to work a little harder to take advantage of these. But it's so worth it. I've I've gone on horseback up at Rocky Mountain National Park to some of these alpine lakes. I've hiked up to some of the high alpine lakes, uh, even doing my television shows in the past. And several of them are on my, my YouTube channel, actually, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. But it's a tremendous... Um, tremendous program, but you rate, it isn't as easy as people think. One of the first challenges, you always have to raise these fish to exactly a certain size, don't you? Yep, exactly. Um, there's a really narrow window, um, especially with the airplane stocking where 
Uh, if the fish are too small, they will actually dry out before they reach the water. And if they're too big, they will um, hit the water with too much of an impact to survive. So we have a very specific size window, about one inch, that we like to stock these fish out at. Um, and then on top of that, the added challenge that alpine lakes really aren't uh, very accessible for the majority of the year. So uh, weather plays a big part. Um uh, snow and ice conditions in the high country. So we have this really small window where we're able to stock them. Um, and then uh, also the um, pack plants uh, is kind of the same deal. Since we bag them similar to aquarium fish you would buy at a pet store, uh, you know, we can't fit too many fish in a bag. They won't survive a, a long hike unless they're a very specific size. So we have to coordinate everything. We have to time everything really precisely for this one. Now, do you alternate where you stock the fish, like you maybe do a certain region one year, another region the next year? Yeah, we alternate east and west slope. Um, and as some people may be aware, we're starting to uh, become more and more cognizant of the different strains of cutthroat and where east and west slope cutthroats um, are native. So we, uh, we stock east slope natives on the east slope and west slope natives on the west slope. Um, and we alternate those back and forth because we don't really have the resources to um, to do every every alpine lake in the state every year. There's obviously a ton of them up there. So, uh, yeah, we do. We alternate around, and uh, it, the program works pretty well that way. Well, you, you mentioned there's a ton of them. I sometimes don't know if people understand the the wealth of opportunities we have in these alpine lakes. I mean, they're only accessible for a certain part of the year, but it's some of the best fishing in Colorado. Now, when you stock these small fish, the, because the food sources are probably limited there too, how long is the growth period before they start becoming catchable size? That's a really good question, and it'd be better suited for an aquatic biologist that manages those lakes. But, I mean, I, I can take a guess at it. I, I would assume it's it's several years before a, a one-inch fish in those cold and sort of slow-growing environments reaches that 10 to 12-inch. I would, I would guess it's several years. But that being said, since you've been doing this program for so many years, there's a, a plethora of really nice-sized fish in some of these lakes, isn't there? Yeah, there is, and it, it kind of depends on the system. You know, some of the more productive ones, I think we probably see better growth rates, and I, I think there's definitely some gems up in the high country where, you know, a, a dedicated angler could do some work and probably find fish that are in the 18 to 20 inch size class. Um, it, that, that may be above average and a lot of them may be, you know, more in the 10 to 12 range, but there's, there's definitely some nice cutthroats up there. And they're, of course they're gorgeous fish, no matter what size they are. So well, always I, fun to catch. I've caught them all the way from six, eight inches up to 18 or so inches in these alpine lakes. And I'll tell you what, you're in a setting that's unbelievably beautiful. You're, you're usually by yourself because you had to either hike in or horseback in to get to these lakes. Um, and you're, you're catching a, a fish that could be a native to Colorado, at least it's a relative of the native. And they're beautiful in their colors. And they keep that coloration almost all year because the season's so short, don't they? Yeah, right. Um, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that. One of my favorite things I like to tell people is that in some cases, the the open water season is so short on those high mountain lakes that I've seen the times when the cutthroats and the brook trout were spawning at the exact same time or attempting to spawn at the exact same time. And 
for people who don't know, that's that's a spring spawner and a fall spawner that are trying to do it at the same time. So that's that just goes to show you how short that window is and that the fish really have to take advantage of the short open water period they have. Well, what a great opportunity for anglers, you know, because so many people, you know, a lot of people getting outdoors, they're getting back to more primitive ways to experience the outdoors where a lot of people are doing archery hunting or muzzleloader hunting. They're getting away from the big boats quite a bit, and they're getting off, and mm-hmm. they want to get a hike in, and they're fly fishing or a small spinning rod up in the mountains, uh, a pack-in rod. So we're doing that. Are there a few favorite waters that you think have been very successful or that you like to fish? Um, I'm really familiar just because I grew up in the Red Feather area with uh, the lakes in the Rewa Wilderness. Those are some of my favorite Um there's some really good angling up there. It's it's a hike. It's a tough one to get into, but you're definitely going to be on your own. Um, and then uh, some of the ones around Salida and the Collegiate Peak area, there's some good quality angling there, too. Uh, anybody who's looking for a, a, a decent hike and some good cutthroat fishing, those are two areas to check out. Um, and then there's also a few places where we stock, stock these fish that are actually are accessible um, by by car, uh, Long Draw Reservoir comes to mind. Unfortunately, with the fire, that's probably not an option this year. But uh, that's typically one where people could find cutthroat fishing a little more accessible. I think there's some in Joe Wright, too, along with the grayling. I think probably yep, we've got to run, but good advice would be if you've got an area like, I know Indian Peaks and Rocky Mountain National Park are popular, but if you have an area and you want to find out for sure, uh, get a hold of the regional biologists and they can probably tell you. Yep, definitely. Um, hatchery technicians are also a really good resource. They're the ones that are out there putting the fish in the water. So both of those resources would be great for people. All right. We have to run, but great program. You guys are working so hard to produce opportunities for us, warm and cold water. It uh, makes outdoors a lot more fun here. Thank you so much, Dave. Yeah, thank you. That's Dave Carr from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. We come back, Brad Peterson's going to join us, and we are going to uh, update you on some of the Front Range and Eastern Lakes fishing conditions right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. That's the way you do it. You play the guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. You know, they, Kyle, they never let me play my guitar on MTV. And that's too bad. MTV's missing out. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. We'll leave it at that. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, a frequent contributor to this phone, he hunts, he fishes. He started out at Camp Fish Within Fishermen. He's a knowledgeable angler and guide, uh, Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Um, you know, there's a lot going on, and I opened the show by telling people, if you're headed out fishing, hunting, camping, uh, don't just hook up your boat or throw your gear in and head on a long drive. You better do some checking first, because between the fires and the dropping water levels, things are changing quickly, aren't they? Oh, they are. You know, as you were saying in that opening segment, um, you weren't sure about Jumbo, uh, last weekend, you could launch a, a bigger boat at Jumbo, and now I don't think you could get any boat on there. I talked to someone earlier this week, and they said definitely not a deep V, but they figured they were just a few days away from uh, closing down those boat ramps. 
and you'd hate to travel, you know, spend the time, plan a trip to go a couple hours to find out that um, you aren't able to do what you're planning. And just with five, ten minutes of research on the Internet, on the CPW website, or, you know, a phone call will save you a lot of those headaches. And it's it really is changing day to day right now. You know, and it's um, we're going to talk mostly fishing in this segment, but it's also going to affect hunting. A new fire is down by Trinidad. Two wildlife areas that are uh, hunting areas are going to be affected. We got the Cameron Pass and north of Grand Junction. You know, we've got we've got ant- we've got archery seasons for antelope and elk. We've got dove season starting. We've got teal season coming up. Um, you you got to be aware where these fires are too. But let's stay with fishing for a minute. What are you seeing out there, and where would you go, and where wouldn't you go? Well, I tell you what, out in the northeast, the only lake, if you're looking at putting a boat in, that you're going to be able to launch right now is going to be North Sterling, and that is the south boat ramp. They're still catching a few walleyes and wipers out that way. So if you want to head out that way, I would, I would target that. There is some shore fishing opportunities along the dam. Still at Jackson and Jumbo, uh, or uh, Jackson and, and Pruitt. And then, you know, Jumbo has the salvage, like you mentioned. But if I was really going to target, I would stay along that North Front Range corridor. You've got a, a lot of different options that still have water between Boyd and St. Rain and, you know, the guys you talked with earlier today with Horsetooth and Carter. And then yesterday, I was out on one of the smaller ones that's often overlooked. You know, you've got Lawn Hagler right there in Union. And the, the bite at Lawn Hagler was pretty good. Yeah, I know you said you were catching a number of bass at Lawn Hagler. Were they large or smallmouth? I caught all largemouth. I had one smallmouth follow a crankbait up to the boat. And uh, that smallmouth actually came... Um, I was pitching a crankbait through some schools of suspended bait fish, and so it was it was suspended about uh, six feet down over thirty feet of water when it came following up. So um, that was kind of a, a nice surprise. And the, the other surprise out there was, you know, I was able to catch a few decent sized pike. And along the front range, there aren't too many places you can catch pike without going up into the hills. Now, what techniques were you using mostly for the largemouth, and then the, what did the pike hit? Um, the largemouth along the dam, I was pitching uh, square-billed crankbaits and bouncing it off the rocks real early in the morning while the fish were still up shallow. And then as the sun came up and the clouds kind of burned off, I went more towards the west end and caught most of my bass on a chatterbait, um, the terminator shuttering bait right there um seemed to work good but i got i was getting a few hits that were just knocking the tar out of the bait and throwing a lot of slack in and i thought those might be some of the pikes so when i decided to target those i switched over to a spinner bait you know it's a it's a great option both you and i have fished up in you know minnesota where there's a lot of pike and the nice thing about a spinner bait is it's got the flash to attract them but the arm actually acts as kind of a mini steel leader, so you really don't need to put on a steel leader. And covers water real good. And the weeds there, the lake is dropping, so the weeds are somewhat matted where you find them. And um, a spinnerbait will go through that area much better than a lot of other presentations. 
All right. Did you throw any soft plastics at all or pretty much reaction baits? You know, I tried throwing soft plastics along the rocks just a little bit, and I didn't have any luck. So I only had a few hours in the morning to fish and decided I was going to go reaction bait, be a little bit more aggressive, and kind of figure out where those fish were for the next trip out there when I've got some more time, and I'll I'll use a little bit more of those finesse-style techniques. That's a great way to cover water power fishing. In fact, I did an article for the Denver Post. I should put it up on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. In fact, I think I'll do that this week, how power fishing this time of the year can be a great way to locate fish because um, you got to cover water because conditions are changing, the fish are moving, and sometimes well, then once you locate them, sometimes you can slow down. Um, what about Boyd real quick, Brad? What do you see here and there? I know I've heard the white bass are coming on a little. Yeah, the white bass for about the last two to three weeks have been coming on. The the thing is, you know, there's some years you get out there and you watch them boil, and they're going to boil for a half hour, 45 minutes at a time, and, and you can really target them. Right now, they seem to be pushing those shot up. They're going to be on the surface for a minute or two, and then they're going to drop back down. So the nice thing is they're generally staying in the same area. So once you find those fish that they come up, you can kind of – you know, I run over there quick with my electric motor and make a few casts. Usually you're going to get one or two fish before the boil drops down. And then just kind of hang in that area. You know, you can go cast for bass or walleye or, or trout as you're kind of killing time waiting for that next boil to come up. And then just put down the rod you're using, grab grab the rod that uh, you're targeting the, the white bass with and scoot over there quick and make some casts. And I used a, a lure that um, I haven't used before. It's the, the Rapala slab wrap in the new size. And it's it's like a vibrating, you know, similar to like a rattle trap or a rip and wrap. But the thing about it is, is it's got the big profile, but it's lighter weight. So it's easier to keep in that upper water column. When the fish are boiling, man, you want to make sure you don't fish too deep. The biggest problem people have on boiling fish is they fish below those fish and don't get bit. So keep it up in the upper bit. And then there's guys uh, fishing the weeds at Boyd and still catching some nice largemouth and a few smallmouth uh, up there. And the walleyes are starting to get into their fall pattern. If you look, there's a lot of fish out there in that 24 to 30-foot depth zone. And I still have been catching some fish, some walleyes on bait, um, but I know people are starting to pick them up either, you know, spooning or a lot of guys are starting to get them uh, lead core crankbaits. Now, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to touch on waterfowl before we do run out of time. Um, we've got some seasons coming up. Uh, what do you think these falling waters and the drought's going to do to the upcoming waterfowl? Well, the falling water you know, makes it a little more difficult, especially for the people wanting to have cover a certain, you know, like Pruitt, most of that water is going to be out of the area, just remaining out of the area that you can really hunt. So you need to do a little bit of scouting. And some of our seasonally filled ponds, say Jackson and Brush Prairie Ponds, they may not fill. So you want to call and make sure to check where the water is. The good thing is, is as the water drops, some vegetation will grow up. And if we get moisture and the lakes start to fill again, as soon as that starts flooding, 
it's going to be attracting a lot of birds. And while I was out at Lawn Hagler, I did see about the 20 to 30 blue-winged teal that looked like they just moved in with this last front. So teal season that's coming up September 12th, I think if you can find water, they like the shallow water, if you can find that, I think we've got it set up to where it could be a really good teal season. I have to run, Brad, but I think we need to get you back on quickly and talk waterfall preparation. We'll do that very quick. Thanks for the updates. You're welcome, Terry. Thanks a lot. And if you want to find Brad, it's at Brad Peterson Outdoors on Facebook and other social media. And if you want to ch- chase those uh, white bass at Boyd, go to my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Better yet, go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I posted an article just last week with both a television segment and a uh, an interview with Ronnie Castiglione on how to go after those white bass. We're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. Nate Zielinski is going to join us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.